Welcome to Evolve to Succeed, the podcast that brings together entrepreneurs, founders, business leaders, and experts to talk about their journeys and explore the link between personal and business success. I'm your host, Juan Munson, founder of Evolve, a coaching, training, and development company focused on enabling business and personal success and creating a community of like-minded individuals. Whether that be through our peer groups, one-to-one coaching, our training and development programs for you and your teams, or through our content and events, our mission is to get the best out of each individual and inspire them to be better both in life and in business. If you want to learn more about Evolve, including our beautiful co-working space in Ashley Cross in Paul, then please go to evolvemembers.com where you'll find great content, insights, details of all of our services, and also information on our forthcoming events. For now though, let's get on with the show. This week, I'm talking to Alexis Kingsbury, co-founder of two businesses, Air Manual and Spider Gap. He is also a partner in the management consultancy, Bridging Insight, and a speaker on topics such as freeing up time through effective delegation and the business applications and limitations of AI. As you'll hear in this episode, Alexis's entrepreneurial journey started before he was even a teenager, and in later years, it was the honest, if somewhat brutal advice from a manager that inspired his path to understanding how businesses need to be run and how best to use processes to solve people's challenges. One of the biggest dilemmas a business owner faces centers around time and delegation. We all want to grow our businesses, but often get caught up in the day-to-day running of things, which not only reduces the amount of time we can spend on driving that growth, but also the quality of time away from the office and from the business. As well as this pertinent topic, today's conversation covers things like nature versus nurture and the role of leadership, defining and maintaining company culture, and the amazing impact that empowering your team can have on the business, as well as the individual. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome, Alexis, to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. Great to be here. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, really looking forward to our conversation. It's going to be great to talk to you about your own kind of journey, some of the lessons that you learn along the way, but also, you know, subjects that you're passionate about and what you do now about creating culture, um, freeing up, you know, business owners, business leaders' time, that kind of art of delegation. Uh, perhaps we'll get some time to cover the onboarding of new employees as well. But I suppose we should put in context for our listeners a little bit about you, a little bit of your background. So maybe if you could just give us a very short insight about the businesses that you're currently connected with, you're running, that you've started, you've founded and that you're involved in, Alexis. Yeah, sure. So uh, I, I suppose it's useful to understand that at this point, right as of right now, I own two software businesses and a consulting practice. And over the last, I think it works out, it's about 20 years, I've um, started closed uh, in some cases sold multiple businesses over over my sort of entrepreneurial career um, and so it's funny now when I look back and when I talk on podcasts and speak on stage and so on I think it, it feels like this very natural journey and and feels like this oh yeah brilliant like you know you've you've now got successful businesses and that's what you kind of set out to do because as a, a teenager essentially in fact even pre-teenager when I was like 11 12 years old I always wanted to start and build a business and build businesses. 
was inspired by the likes of Richard Branson and so on. That I was like, yeah, this is what I want to do. And I, I always loved like building things generally, whether it's out of lemonade bottles and uh, toilet roll tubes. Uh, so the idea of building a business uh, was very exciting. And then when the internet came along and I started building websites, and I thought, oh, wow, this like it all just felt like, oh, this is this is what I'm made to do. And uh, so as a result, like all my studies, I studied business studies, the first opportunity I could at school. Uh, I then uh, studied it uh, at uh, A-level as well. Um, I then went on to study at uh, degree level and studied management science and uh, absolutely like loved the area of building businesses. Um, but in many ways, and in retrospect, was terrible at it. <laughs> because... <laughs> but, but that's part of the roller coaster ride, and that's some of the things that we learn along the way, isn't it, Alexis? Yeah, and, and that was quite frustrating because I always thought I'd be great at it. And I think partly because there were some things that I was really good at. I was really good at coming up with lots of ideas. I was really good at talking to people about ideas. Um, and I was really good at very quickly like building something scrappily. So for an entrepreneur, those are really important, useful skills. What I was terrible at is then the next stage, how you actually turn it into something that is a business rather than a job. How do you make it so that this is something that can exist and you can grow it without you or with you working on the business and so on? And so largely my first five, six, seven businesses were examples of me demonstrating uh, how you repeat failure multiple times because I would create a business that kind of did work. I'd get busy. I wouldn't be able to grow any further, but it still wasn't paying enough money to kind of, you know, make a huge dent. And so as a result, I'd have to close it and I'd start a new one. And each time I thought it was the business idea. I thought that it was like, oh, I haven't chosen a scalable business idea. Um, and to some extent, like, that pattern continued right up until I basically created a software business because even even back when I had my consulting practice, I was very much of the opinion that, oh, well, you know, consulting practice can't scale. It, it's too dependent on my time. I need to create a business that, that has residual value and, and retain customers and so on. And so I then built my first software business, which was which is SpiderGap. Um, and even then, it, it took me time before I was able to, to hand over and delegate and learn learn that effectively and we'll, we'll talk more about how I did that but the um it, it reminds me a bit of when I uh having had multiple businesses that I couldn't make successful I decided to become a management consultant and tell other businesses how to be successful <laughs> <laughs> um uh, but it was great because it, it, it allowed me to learn what they were doing to to operate at scale and i kind of learned it was it's people but also process you have to give them the guidance of how to do these things and that really suited me as a massive control freak because it would allow me to actually help other great people join join my organization but to do things quickly effectively uh, and the way that they needed to be done for us to get that consistent result and that was what that really when everything kind of took off for me but back when I was a management consultant I was told by my line manager at the time um, you'll never be a good people manager um, which at the time I took really really hard like I, I, I for years afterwards I avoided opportunities to manage people and in, when building my own businesses I was thinking if I can avoid hiring like if I could you know, Tim Ferriss this with a four hour work week, if I could just hire contractors, and then I barely have any contact with them and so on. Um, and so I tried that. And it was a massive failure. Uh, because I 
uh, didn't even engage with them enough so that I'd notice when they stopped working uh, for me, um, never mind sort of you know building a team and culture. So there were lots of things there that I was kind of both terrified of and not naturally able to do. And so despite thinking like, oh, you know, I'm gonna have this incredible career as an entrepreneur and this is all made for me, I actually found it a really hard journey for at least a, a, a decade in the middle of all of that. <laughs> I mean, there's so much we can talk about in that kind of you know, your, your, your brief introduction there, Alexis. And I think your journey isn't unusual to what a lot of businesses see, don't you? There's a huge amount of businesses in the UK that start up, but very small proportion of them perhaps employ more than three to five people. They don't get to that point of the business being independent from them, of its scaling, from them giving it perhaps the life choices that they wanted when they started the business. So I suppose your story in that respect isn't unusual to what others see and I suppose that's where you are now and perhaps you know as we talk about culture and the art of delegation and and letting go a little bit and freeing up time we'll we'll cover off some of the things that you did but I'm also intrigued by that manager that you know made that comment to you and again I suppose there'll be a lot of listeners to this conversation that will think you know and I can resonate you know there's people say things to you in those informative years and, and as you're starting to develop your you know, kind of business thinking and ideas and perhaps thinking of going out that do scar you. And, yeah. and I mean, it's, a, it's human nature, maybe. It's just kind of the way some people are. But how did you mentally overcome that? And I know you got to the point where you, you found people and you found process, as you say. Yeah. But that nagging doubt, that self-doubt is the thing that I think, once it's in there, can cause yeah. harm and how did you overcome that alexis yeah so i my approach was initially one of avoidance so it was you know i'll avoid hiring and managing people and then when i found that didn't work i reluctantly decided no i need to get good at this um and i was quite nervous about that because i didn't even know whether that was going to be possible my concern was that um i was just intrinsically broken in a way that meant that I wasn't going to be able to develop those skills and that and that it was more a you know it was a, a EQ you know it was a people skillsy kind of thing and just a you know a je ne sais quoi that uh, certain people seem to have and that I wouldn't be able to learn it um, but I tried so I, I read all the books I could find on how to be a good boss and how to be a good manager and the effective manager and uh, the one minute manager and the one minute manager meets the monkey and you know what happens when the manager then <laughs> does all these things so, so I read all of those books and I spoke to all the smartest people I knew you know people I was on mastermind groups and interestingly also people who would regard themselves as not that smart and yet seem to just be natural people managers and I was trying to understand what it was that made the difference and um, the more I observed it, the more I realized that, yes, if you've got it, you know, some people do seem to have it. There is a nature-nurture thing here, isn't yeah. there? Some people are naturally great people, people, leaders. Yeah, exactly right. And I think what I but what I observed is those people who had the nature of being leaders essentially 
the result of that was the actions that they were taking. So, for example, those people were likely to ask questions of their people rather than give answers. That was, you know, their tendency um, was to was to ask a question like, "What do you think? Like, what do you think we should do? How would you approach this?" Rather than say, "This is what I think we need to do." Right? This this is what we're doing. Um, I think also they would tend to speak in quite high level visionary. Uh, uh, to be a little bit harsh, vague terms about where they're trying to get to rather than be very uh, super specific on on that goal. Um, but then also when it came to then delegating and handing things over, they were very clear on what their expectations were and, and, and what those things were. And so when I started to put all that together, I could see, well, yes, there might be some nature, you know, just stylistic things, but actually they result in a set of rules or um, behaviors yeah, i suppose yeah exactly behaviors that are repeatable and can be um uh, copied or learned and so that was what i then did was i started doing those behaviors and saw a immediate change in how things worked in the organization and then uh, we essentially documented those things so you know documented what's the process for having a one a weekly one-to-one with a line man uh, with a line manager um what's the quarterly process for doing a performance review what's the annual process for that you know, and we had all of those processes documented so then firstly it meant that i actually was able to follow them consistently but the, my favorite thing was it meant that we were able to have people in our organization who also weren't natural people managers that suddenly could become the best manager that their line their direct report has ever had because they were following these these uh, behaviors and asking good questions and checking in and saying so how's your week been overall uh, it's a great question to ask on a on a weekly one-to-one and and wouldn't naturally come to a lot of a lot of us and um yeah we got a lot of these as i say from reading some amazing books from checking out podcasts like the manager tools podcast learning all these things and just bring it together into this is how our organization works these are the the processes of how we work as an organization that meant that we then built this organization with this incredible culture with people who are super happy and feel really engaged and empowered and and support each other comes as a as a result of kind of embedding that in the organization so so that's kind of how i got over it but it, it did take a long time yeah no definitely and i i suppose we start to err into that kind of subject of culture can't we and i i suppose the other thing is you know i think businesses run you know by process are great but some of them don't always have great culture because they become so process heavy it's follow the rules rather than you know follow a culture and follow a way of working so i suppose i know you know it's a passionate subject for you it's clearly something you've developed in your businesses now and again have been on that roller coaster ride learning curve yourself so i mean how would you a simple question well maybe not so simple to start with is you know how would you define company culture and what do you think some of the obvious signs that within a business you've got a healthy or unhealthy culture yeah, I think cu- culture is a really tough one. And I think that um, often, uh, ultimately, culture kind of starts with often your values. Like what what are the attitudes that you want people to hold? How do you want them to make decisions around priorities or, or what they do based on a set of values, a set of beliefs about uh, what's important? 
And I think that's, that's at its core. But unfortunately, a lot of leaders then interpret that as come up with your list of values, stick them on a wall, job done. Yeah. And instead, it's like, no, no, no. That's no. it. I've done it. You know, it's one yeah. of my kind of pet hates. It's like, yeah, the values job isn't put them on the wall, put them in a poster and then think your job's done. I mean, and, but so many organizations fall into that trap, don't they, Alexis? Exactly right. And I think the key is how you weave, how you embed those values through everything that you do. And for me, I've found that the most effective way is putting it into your processes because it makes it um, as uh, simple and consistent as possible. So, for example, let's say that, um, well, one of our core values for my businesses is enjoy the journey. So uh, that value essentially means that we believe that um, you don't want to wait for one day in the future when it's like, oh, brilliant, we've achieved this massive goal. Now we'll all be happy. As a result, we want to make sure that we enjoy the journey as we go along. Well, how do you make sure that people do that? How do you how do you make sure that's embedded in your ways of working? And I think the answer is we have it in all of our processes. So, for example, we have a process for uh, every week. Um, all of our team members have to answer a, essentially an employee satisfaction survey. And as one of the questions in that survey is, you know, on a scale of one to ten, how happy have you been this week? Um, and, and a separate question is, how many days have you worked over your normal hours? Now, those scores, and there's a couple of other questions in there, but those two scores are really important for Enjoy the Journey, and they are reviewed by someone who uh, is essentially in our HR team to highlight those to the line manager. So, for example, as I, as a, I, as a line manager, might get a message uh, from our um, welfare lead who basically just says, oh, just to highlight, this person in your team, they've had a couple of weeks now of a 7 out of 10, um, here's the link to you can see the results. Um, and I noticed that they've also worked three days late both weeks. Now, we have it as part of you know, our line manager training processes and so on that working late occasionally is fine as long as you're doing it essentially out of choice. Like if you're working on something because you're oh, I'm so excited about getting this new feature out or, you know, I've got this idea for how I want to change our processes or, um, you know, create this new marketing thing. Great. But what we don't want is that you're having to work late regularly. Let's say Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you work late or maybe out of choice, because then if something goes wrong on the Friday, then suddenly you've got a partner going, oh, my God, you, you know, you're working all the time. I never see you. And now you've got an unhappy employee. You've got a bad relationship there. That's going to have knock on for how they are at work and whether or not they even want to continue working with those long term. So we don't want that. So. We have it baked in that the manager would then pick it up as part of the one-to-one to talk about, okay, how can we just... And that's just one little example of where that's just weave, uh, sort of woven into one of our processes. And we've got it through recruitment and everything that we do around how do we do it. Even because you might think, oh, yeah, this is all HR. It's like not even that. So, for example, software developers do not do major releases on a Friday because of the risk of it causing a problem that means they're working over the weekend. And that's just another little example of like, how do you avoid, how do you make sure that you're really living your value? And we have five core values and they're all woven throughout our processes and so on, so that I can be confident that no matter how junior someone is in our organization, how recently they joined us, that people are going to be operating in the ways that we want that, you know, demonstrate and live these values every day with our customers and the rest of our team. Brilliant. Two things. One's an observation and, and then a follow-on question, I suppose, to that, Alexis. I think 
the observation is actually one of the things we did in the business advisory tax advisory firm I built, you know, was we was around a weekly check-in, a weekly questionnaire. And I was slightly sceptical of it because I thought, is weekly too often? Is that kind of, is the drum beat too often? But it was brilliant. And we did it on an anonymous basis. But what we wanted to get was for each individual team within the business, this kind of quick kind of benchmark is how's that team doing? How's it ebbing and flowing over time? We did it anonymously so that people could be, felt they could be really honest. Um, but it meant that all of a sudden those weekly departmental catch-ups became really powerful because they had a benchmark and something quantitative to go, okay, kind of the feeling over the last three weeks is that, you know, things are a bit more downbeat. Mm. Why is that? What can we do about it? And I, yeah, I think it's a great, it's a great thing that I don't think a lot of businesses do. And it, you know, it was transformational uh, for, for us. I suppose my follow on question, because I think the first point around creating culture, and I agree with you, is that values piece and living and breathing the values because, you know, there's no point in having them if you don't. But if you do, and you do embed it in everything you do, I'm, I'm with you. It's really powerful. Mm. But I think a lot of business owners, particularly when they're starting to scale, is is setting those values or establishing the values becomes the challenge. Because when it's just one to three people, the founders are there, they're at the coalface, you don't really need that exercise. It's just, it's usually you know, the behavior of the founder is how the values are set. Mm. But, you know, any sort of hints and tips and thoughts you would give our listeners that, you know, are scaling a business and really need to either revisit their values because they think they're out of date or just set their values for the very first time. How would you go about doing that? Yeah, so there's, there's two exercises that make this actually a lot easier and quicker than I think people imagine or, or sometimes make it to be. So the first exercise that we did essentially by accident um, was that you can ask existing team members, people that you work with, even contractors, what do you think our values are? Like, what do you think we value? Um, so from external, yeah. And so on. Yeah, so, um, so for example, I remember asking that question and one of our first team members ever essentially said to us, well, I think attention to detail is definitely high up there. And you're like, oh, that's interesting. We wouldn't have necessarily even thought to put that as a value. You might just go, well, isn't that a competency? But they're like, she's like, no, the level of attention to detail that you guys like, operate at and expect is really high. And, and um, uh, But it's not just um, perfectionism. It's a belief that high attention to detail results in um, actually moving faster in the long term, i.e. that if you make an error or whatever, then it means that a customer, you know, five customers then have to contact you, which means then working out what you're going to say to them and then contacting them and doing all of that rather than having got it right in the first place. And so that became a kind of core value for us is around paying attention to the detail because it then gives us this, this longer term um, speed. And so that was one that was identified by a member of the team that we wouldn't have necessarily identified. Um, so I think firstly asking the team, what do you think we value? And you might be surprised, possibly negatively, by some of the results. You might be like, ooh, and and you know, don't challenge, listen. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Um, if you want to change it, that's fine. But essentially, they they'll be giving you a temperature check of what your culture is currently. Their perception so they, is their perception, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. So if they say, well, I think you value long work, you know, working long hours, you know, doing whatever it takes. You might go, 
well, yeah, but, you know, I don't see that as a value particularly, or, you know, I don't want that for as long term. It's like, okay, so you need to think about that. What does, what does your value set need to look like instead? So I think that's part one of the exercises, asking people existing. And then I think part two is then an iterative exercise. So, cause I think that gives you a starting point. Like literally your team could tell you three things and you might go, yeah, I agree with those. Maybe I'd add this additional one, or maybe I'd change the changes slightly and start there and, it, uh, and then work on the basis that we're then going to change them over time. And the way that you change them is that you identify stuff that comes up that really irks you. So let's say that you've got a team member you're like, they don't feel like a good fit. They, they really annoy me and frustrate me and cause problems, but there's not, they're not currently breaching one of our existing values. What is it? What is it that really upsets me? And for example, maybe it's um, one, if I use an example using one of our core values, uh, which uh, we've now defi- we've defined as focus on impact. You can imagine if I had a team member who was really diligent and got loads done and was detailed and so on, but there seems to be a lot of noise. There's a lot of production, a lot of focus on output. And, you know, I might feel so frustrating. Like they just keep giving me more stuff and I'm trying to work on other things. What is the issue? And so for us, I might say, yeah, the issue is that they're not focused on the outcome. They're not coming to me with what's the outcome that I'm looking for. And therefore, and so one of our core values is focus on impact because we look for and nurture with our team the ability to start with the why, start with the end point and work backwards and say, you know, here's the big bottleneck I've got for our existing customers. As a result, here's what I propose rather than here's my hundred step foot plan for how for the hundred things we can improve about the company which has no bearing on what are the critical things that matter. So I think that's then a useful way to be like, yeah, we're missing something. We've got yeah, value I like in. that. Really so, like and, that approach. And you get there. <laughs> and, definitely. definitely. You know, reiterated for a few years and then got to a point where I think our, that our core values now haven't changed for four or five years. Yeah, um, but you do need to revisit, don't you? Even if it's just a discussion, yeah, even if it's just a once a year catch up to go, are these still relevant? Is it still yeah, where we are? We do. Yeah, and we still we asked that question as part of our review of our our sort of vision document, and that's the first thing: is does this still stack up? Are these still our values? And uh, for now, five years in a row, the answer has been yes. <laughs> that's brilliant. I mean, again, that's that point of getting to the point of scale, isn't it? And becoming established and being consistent, and you know, and that, that's a key, in my opinion, kind of way to success. I suppose I'd love to have a conversation with you now around that art of kind of freeing up time, letting go, delegating, because you've been honest enough in the introduction to say it's something that you struggled with. And actually, as a result, you know, you parked a number of businesses before you learned the skill and found the skill. And I think it's, again, something, as we've already said, that, you know, entrepreneurs, founders find difficult. And I suppose I should start with, why do you think so many business founders, owners find that process of letting go difficult? Yeah, so I think the... There's a, there's a few factors. So I think for, uh, for some business owners where they're perhaps more, um, more visionary, more, um, uh, intuitive, they like to run the business sort of like, you know, based on gut feel and like, you know, they don't want to get too, um, tied down. What they want is freedom. And the, I think often the, the, the problem is when we think about structure, putting structure in your business, systemizing your business, that feels like the opposite of freedom. And so they feel like, oh, well, I wouldn't want to do that because I, I'm building my business so that I can be more free. 
And the problem is that for those people, they then try and go on holiday and their team don't really have clarity on how that leader does a load of the things that they do in the business. And so their phone rings constantly while they're on holiday and they don't really have a holiday. And so they either choose not to go on them or their family get very fed up with the fact that this person says like, oh yeah, yeah, I'm so free and I'm, I'm traveling and I'm going on holiday. And yet they're spending all of it on their laptop and on their phone. So I think that's kind of one group of where they just almost don't like the idea of structure and so avoid it completely. And actually the reverse is true, right? Once you've yeah, got Absolutely. The- that is my journey. I mean, I can, you know, came out of a big international corporate to set up, you know, business, me, laptop, phone and desk, start to employ people. And I was a, I was this kind of anti-structure, anti-process, anti-everything. And you're right. And just got to that point where I'm never free from this. And, and then learn, actually, done the right way. You know, you start to put systems, processes in. It doesn't mean you're becoming corporate. It just means you're growing a proper business. But yeah, sorry to interrupt, but I was definitely, and it probably took me six, seven years of persevering. And I'm not sure I quite ever cracked it, if I'm honest. Or I have cracked it yet because there is that little bit of resistance. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it, it's it's a, a painful one because I think that um, once you understand what's possible, there is an element of almost kicking yourself and being, oh my God, because it's so long, right? And, and the years. Um, the other uh, case that I see is where a business owner is very open to creating the structure, but just feels like that they haven't got the time. Now's not quite right. You know, once I'm through the next bit of difficulty or whatever, and they think it's because they think of structuring as something that's desirable, but so intensive and time consuming that it just kept on, keeps on getting deprioritized. And the, uh, to illustrate that, there was a, a business owner that was working with them who owned a printing business, um, been uh, sort of successful, been growing. I think by that point, they had about sort of uh, nine, 10 people in the organization. Um, but he was working 60 hour weeks. So all of his evenings, all of his weekends, wasn't able to spend time with family. And he knew that he needed to delegate and hand over some of the things that he was doing, but he couldn't see how he couldn't, you know, he couldn't even make enough space to, to, to get that thinking time. And so when I spoke to him, I said, well, where are you spending your time now? And he said, well, you know, we listed off a few things. And there was one in particular, which was sending quotes to customers that were asking for you know, a price quote. And he said that, yeah, I, at the moment it has to be me because for these variety of reasons of how the organizations change, product mix, et cetera. And so I said, well, how, how much time does it take? It's like about three hours a day. It's like 15 hours per week. So nearly two, day, two working days a week um, is spent on that. And of course, in his head, he needed to systemize everything. And that was a year long project. Whereas I said, well, let's let's document that. He says, well, I know I need to document it, but I figure it probably take like eight hours and I've just not found the time. Now, of course, even if it did take eight hours, that'd be worth it because it gets 15 hours back. It's immediate payback, yeah. Yeah, and yet still haven't found the time. And I said, well, we've got 45 minutes left of this call. Let's see what we can do. And in uh, 30 minutes, we managed to document out the process, get it all done at the high level, put in the um, complex bits around the logic, put in some screenshots, um, put in some little sub tick boxes and, and helpful reminders so that he didn't make mistakes that previously he'd, he'd made, like forgetting to include rush fees and all these sorts of things. 
and we got it documented and then at the end of the course said okay well so who's going to do this and identified yeah this is account managers essentially the sales team should be doing this and so we set up a follow-up call on that call they then walked through the process ticking it off as they as they go along um and there were a couple of changes that we had to make so they said oh i'm unsure about this or they nearly made a mistake and so we live updated the process because you don't want to just tell them because then the next person doesn't have that knowledge so we updated the, the checklist and then they were able to do it and so instantly that business owner freed up 15 hours a week because suddenly their team are able to do the price quotes and the incredible thing is and this was a realization uh, for me was um when i was talking to the business owner i said um you know, so what's been the best thing of, we've worked together through and we worked on different areas as well uh, as part of our um, we have a sort of consulting accelerator package that, that we sometimes uh, provide to customers to, to help them implement. I said, what's been the most valuable thing? Presumably the time saved. He said, no, it's been the conversion rate. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, previously it used to take me three days to respond to a request for a price. Now it takes my team an hour. And you're like, ah, oh, I hadn't even thought about the yeah, fact that, that being the benefit. Wow. Imagine that because suddenly you go, oh, like if because uh, uh, like doubling your conversion rate basically doubles your revenue. Right. And you suddenly go, oh, OK, well, that's quite interesting because now you've got a situation where you're like potentially doubling revenue and getting two days a week back. Um, and of course, we didn't stop there over the next nine months. We repeated that exercise on all of his tasks and got him to the point that he was no longer required day to day in that business. So you could either go off and do something else or he could work on the business and be more strategic or uh, as it turned out in his case did quite a bit of holiday indeed good for him and we've had you know we've had clients that we've worked with who have taken their first holiday for five years because they've been able to uh, to free themselves up the business and i think i think that's the key you see that little mental block which is i haven't got time to free up the time it's you know it's and it and we see it so often you know and things like the seven habits of highly effective people they talk about you know needing to sharpen the saw and instead you're just focused going oh no I need to cut down this tree I couldn't possibly stop to sharpen the saw and it's just that I see that so often in every step of the journey you know even thinking about freeing up time or actually getting it documented or handing it over or whatever there's that mental hang up and the amazing thing is once you break through it you suddenly go oh. Oh, okay. And then you can do it for the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And over time, you get to a point where you systemize the entire business so it can run without you, as indeed um, my first software business still you know, now runs completely without me day to day. You know, They even set their own um, objectives and so on in line with a very top-level vision that we have. Kind of vision and goal that you've set and then yeah. Yeah, that cascades down. But I suppose, and how, because one of the things is even when people start to see the benefits, there is this little bit of ego can get in the way can't it you know i am the owner i need to make these decisions i need to be the one responsible you know and and it's a natural response for many people i mean how psychologically you know how do you overcome that yeah i think um it's it's really interesting because i see when business owners are talking about feeling stuck in the business and stressed and and so on they can that can that be for that feeling of oh, i need to i need to be able to step back you know i need to and, and and maybe it's because it's just come to a head or maybe it's because there's something else going on in their lives you know a, a partner a, a parent you know some of the family member that needs care or or something that's going on in their own health and they think i need to i need to be able to step back from the business i need this space and so on And I think on the one hand, there's this logical, I should be able to step back from the business. I should be able to make sure that the business can run itself, but a a guilt, 
a, a feeling of I'm stepping away and back from the business and everyone else is working to earn me money and build my asset. And that feels uncomfortable. And there was a really interesting just sh um, shift in words that a, a mentor of mine shared with me, um, a, a guy called uh, Nick James. I believe he got it from one of his mentors, uh, Jeff Mask. Um, he said, rather than, rather than talking about it as stepping back from the business or stepping away from the business, talk about step up in the business. And so that kind of mental shift of being like, yeah, hey, I'm, not, I'm not stepping back or out, I'm stepping up. And actually to step up, that requires certain things to be in place. It means that I need the team to be able to operate and do these things. And it means that it does make sense that I have more time to think and discretionary time and so on so that I can step up. And I think that that shift changes the the dynamic and that that feeling around guilt uh, that people have around kind of freeing up their time for the business. You know, it's um, I remember my, my wife uh, is now a, a consultant, but her background was working as a essentially a commercial and marketing director. And I remember one of the best pieces of advice she ever got from a uh, from a leader, from a manager, not you know not like the the one I had. Uh, the manager that she uh, advice that she got was. Um, I want you to spend more time with your feet up on the desk. Now, in your role as a leader, you need to be thinking rather than doing. And I think that's a really interesting thing that in the corporate world, that's there's more of an acceptance of that. It's like, yeah, if I'm hiring you to be a top like VP, a director, a head of whatever, I'm expecting that you're utilizing people in the organization that the organization is paying for so that we can deal these, uh, deliver these results. It's not a good thing for me if, you're, if I hire you as a VP and then you're getting your, you know, getting your hands dirty and sleeves out. It's like, no, 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 I want you to be thinking. And I think one of the problems that often as a business owner, we're not thinking that necessarily. Yeah. Really. And, and, but we are always on that transition and journey, aren't we, between most businesses perhaps start you know, with a single person doing everything and it grows yeah. over time. So there is this barrier or this change event that has to take place either as a big bang or as a, as a, mo you know, as a number over a number of years to transition away. But I love that, you know, that transition being a step up, not step back, you know, because truly that's kind of what happens, you know, in, in the business I run now Evolve. You know, through circumstance, yeah, I, I definitely stepped stepped up, and they, the team there, had more freedom from day one. So they have created, they have created the processes, they have created the systems. You know, and I'm doing the right things in that business. And when I compare it to my original journey, it's completely different, and it's a great sense of freedom, and I can think more strategically. And as a result, that business is gaining quicker momentum. You know, first business gain was just through blood, sweat and tears and more kind of gut effort whereas this one seems to be on a, a more natural and more exciting path because i have time to step up yeah so i do love that phrase yeah yeah and it make it, it it's it makes such a big difference for the business owner you know i've um, we've worked with clients who have previously built businesses seven figure eight figure businesses that they hated and as a result you know burnt to the ground <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and and then have restarted and done it in a completely different way, and then really enjoyed it, and you know still been financially successful, but but without the stress and so on. And and I think that's that's interesting that but it's it's possible. Like it's the um, it, unfortunately it's so common to see a sort of um, uh, rewarding and encouragement of rapid growth and results 
at the cost of other things. I think it's because um, generally, as a you know, as a culture, we quite like the idea of people working hard and getting great results. We feel uncomfortable about people who have got great results and haven't worked hard or, or whatever, um, you know, by whatever metrics and so on. And so as a result, I think the risk is that business owners fall into this trap of thinking, yeah, you know, I've got, um, I remember a particular client went from 18 uh, team members to 42 members within 18 months. And by everyone else's standards, I thought, wow, what an incredible success story. That's amazing. Congratulations. I'd kill for growth like that. But I could see it in his eyes. So I asked him the question, are you enjoying it? And he said, no. And it's like, so as a result, something needs to change, right? And so that was the key. And you know, I, I, I love those conversations. It often results in me um, being uh, very enthusiastic about us getting the opportunity to work with those sorts of people because it's like you've got you've done the hard bit in many ways you've done the 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 bit of creating a business that can work and making sure that customers understand the value proposition and being able to deliver it but now you need to put in this you know you need to systemize the business so that it can run without you having to be required every minute of every day um and that's you know not an exaggeration we've literally got clients who when we first started working with them they felt like they required 24 seven and you know killing them right literally in one case got a client who um had a heart attack at age 29 and was back to work seven days later um and you know it's that isn't what we want right for from no, that's, that's not success in any way shape yeah. or form is it no <laughs> um, and i so, suppose yeah. we've talked a lot about the business owners and the leaders but what my experience has shown i think it's it's the impact it can actually have on the team when you do actually empower them and you do give them that kind of responsibility and that freedom. And um, I mean, you must have seen that dynamic change in, in people and the teams, you know, regardless of the change for the business owner. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's, it's one of the interesting things, you know, almost full circle when we talked about culture at the beginning is that one of the things I've seen is that we've had clients. I remember a particular owner of a manufacturing firm where he said that, you know, before we started kind of do, doing this sort of stuff with him, like he said that it felt like a business where people were just working there for the paycheck, right? It was, it, that was it. And what was interesting is that because, I mean, he started working with us because he wanted to systemize the business to free up his time because he was super stressed. He had stuff going on in his family life and health and uh, of his children and so on that, that needed attention. And yet the business was dependent on him. And so we you know, systematically kind of helped him through at that time. But the amazing thing was the impact it had exactly as you say on everyone else. So not only did it free up the time, but also it meant that they felt more empowered. They enjoyed the business more because they were able to do more and they were able to identify ways in which oh you know i think we could do this in a slightly better way and as a result they were then empowered to make the suggestion like i think actually the handover between sales and operations would work better if we did this 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 and and then of course you kind of go well yeah mate good make make the change and they do and it works and and so that changed the culture as well like by embedding values into their processes by getting their team to to own more of how the business works it meant that the shift in the business was uh he described it as like you could feel it like you were going to the office you could feel the difference from one only like nine months uh before that it, it felt like a different place to work and i think exactly as you say like the impact on the people around you is as important as for the business leader um 
you know, we all, we all spend a lot of time in work, frankly, over the course of our lives. Therefore, why not enjoy that journey uh, rather than it being means to an end? As we sort of wrap up our conversation, I always end with a, a final question, which is, and I'm always intrigued speaking to business owners, business leaders, and, and people like yourself, Alexis, to ask the question, what's your personal definition of success given the journey you've been on? Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting one and something that I have, I suppose, in some ways has studied. Like, There's a fantastic book called um, How Will You Measure Your Life by Clayton M. Christensen, which kind of delves into this in a lot, lot of detail. I think the ultimate definition has to be living in line with my values um, and, uh, and, and being able to spend the time with the people that matter to me. I think that's the thing is that I think um, just being able to spend the money is not enough. It's, um, you know, you, you've got to be able to, I think it's from that book that they, uh, or, or maybe it's a different one, but they talk, talk about um, that kids uh, spell love, T-I-M-E. And I think that's that's been a really important thing for me has been how do I make sure that I get quality time with my partner, with my kids, and so that I can really sort of nurture them and support them. So that's kind of been my main definition of success underneath everything else. I think otherwise it's about growth. It's about, and, and not just growth in terms of like financial metrics, but, but personal, personal growth. growth, I see. Yeah, yeah. like do, doing, being able to do new things, do them better. Like I think ultimately that's one of the fundamental um, building blocks to having a happy life for you and for your team is that people feel like they're growing, that, that what they did in the last 12 months was better and more interesting than the previous 12 months and and onwards one of our you know, values that or, or concepts values that we you know i put into anything i am involved with or any of the businesses i own and run is this sense of everybody in the business having a growth mindset and yeah it doesn't mean that they all want to necessarily earn more or be the next ceo it's just no. they're going to be slightly better in what they do at the end of the year than when they started it and they're going to have grown as a human being and you know when you start to talk to people about that during a kind of an appraisal people's eyes light up because it's about them isn't it and it's about how they're going to develop and grow and and not just from as you as you say a business or fiscal one because we're only on this planet for so little time that people do want to make the most of their lives don't they and so they should (laughs) Yeah, indeed. And and for us, we, we have it wrapped up in our fourth core value, which is always look to improve. And so, you know, when I say like live in line with my values, it's like there's a lot wrapped up in that because you kind of look at our core values and say, well, focus on impact is our number one core value. So that's all about like what's the actual impact we're having to people's lives. You know, one of the things that I love about the work we do at Air Manual is always is all about the fact that we're helping business leaders, owners, etc., to fundamentally you know, scale without stress to take their first holiday to, <laughs> to you know, uh, improve their health and all these things. And so I think that's important um, in the same way that our fifth core value, enjoy the journey kind of represents yes, but so yes, it's do that. But at the same time, making sure that we're finishing at 5pm and getting time with the kids and being able to take 40 days holiday, which is what we give to all of our team members and all those sorts of things. So it's, it's all wrapped into how we uh, build the business. 
Thank you, Alexis. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Clearly, you know, our listeners will have seen from that simple conversation um, that, you know, you're very honest in sharing your experiences, but also that you've got experiences in helping business owners systemize their business. So if any of our listeners do want to learn more about you and what you do and the businesses that you run do and how they help systemize and put process into businesses, where can they go? Yeah, so of course, I'd welcome people to connect with me on social media. I'm mostly active on LinkedIn, but I'm on some of the others as well. Uh, if people are interested in learning more about what we do at Air Manual and uh, both the, the software and, and how we work and, and best practice and so on, they can find out more at airmanual.link forward slash discover. Um, or if you'd like to arrange a, a call with our team, airmanual.link forward slash discovery <laughs> uh, to, uh, to have a discovery call with our team to kind of... Um, uh, learn more but yeah otherwise people can reach out reach out to me at alexis.kingsbury@airmanual.co, uh, and uh, ask me any questions or anything uh, that I can help with thank you thank you for being a great guest on the Evolve to Succeed podcast been an absolute pleasure thank you very much for having me thank you for listening to the Evolve to Succeed podcast my hope with every episode is that you've learned something new or heard something that challenged your way of thinking and further motivated you on your path towards becoming a more knowledgeable, informed and inspired individual and business leader. If you enjoyed this episode, then please help us by rating, reviewing and subscribing. We really value your feedback and would love to have you along for future episodes. And please don't forget to learn more about Evolve by going to evolvemembers.com. Thank you for listening. See you next week.